Hey friends, it's Rena Olson. Welcome to this episode of the Relevate Podcast. So today you're in for a treat because we have leadership expert Tyler Reagan here to talk about his new book, Leading Things You Didn't Start. Well, that title probably applies to just about all of us, don't you think? For many of us, we think of leadership and we think of business, but I would encourage you to expand your thinking. Leadership happens day-to-day in so many areas. If you are a parent, you are a leader. If you you work either in the home or outside of the home, you're a leader. So to learn how to do this well and um, using Christian principles, to me, it's a winner and something everybody should pay attention to. Okay, let's learn how to lead well with my friend, Tyler Reagan. Tyler Reagan, welcome to the Relevate Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, super amazing to have you here today. You have a lot going on, mostly <laughs> in the Christian leadership yeah. world. And I'm just um, such a blessing to be able to, to kind of talk through some of these things with you and inspire people. You know, I love talking about leadership especially to people who may not have thought of themselves as right. a leader before, because I think um, it's possible really anybody can cultivate that, that spirit of leadership, those skills, um, no matter how old you are. So sure. excited to dig into that with you. It's going to be fun. Okay. So other than Chick-fil-A sweet tea and the Georgia Bulldogs, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my wife and I, um, you know, like, like yourself, we're from where we live in Atlanta now. We live in Roswell, but I'm from Atlanta. We're some of the few, few that are still here, and uh, it seems I like a lot it. of people like I move. Yeah, exactly. Um, but my wife and I've been married 20 years this year, which is pretty awesome. And two boys, they're seventh grade and fourth grade. And so uh, when it comes to sweet tea and Georgia Bulldogs, like we tried to raise them correctly. Neither one of the boys are big sweet tea fans, but my wife and I are. So. Um, but yeah, we we are uh, again native Atlantans, so we have dealt with the pain of Atlanta sports for our entire lives, and so <laughs> just walking oh, through those you. seasons. Yeah. So, but other than that, I've been in ministry for a long time and leadership. I bought the uh, caught the leadership bug about probably fifteen years ago. I've you only- have a background as a as a pastor. Ended yep. up at Point. So, for people who are not familiar with North Point, share with us a little bit about what you did when you were there. Yeah, sure. So I got my Master of Divinity up at um, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Uh, of course, I'm a Georgia Bulldog through and through. I graduated from there with a technology education degree, which is funny because it's like, what? 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 The, the beautiful part of that, though, is that I've always loved... I've always loved production. I've always loved the technical elements of things. And that's why that degree made a lot of sense for me. And then uh, went off to seminary, got my degree in really a biblical studies and what that looks like um, to pastor. And then didn't know what I was going to do with it. Kind of thought I would do college ministry or something along those lines because that college ministry at Georgia had had made such an impact on my life. Ended up starting Athens Church, which was a, a, a brand new partnership of North Point yeah. and got connected there. So I went out there for about a year and a half. And then um, they asked me to come help start the Brownsbridge campus. And so I did that. And I was there about eight years leading the service programming division for Brownsbridge and spent every Tuesday with Andy Stanley working on messages and marketing and all the different layers of that. And so for me, watching him lead not on the stage was really a treat of mine. And uh, that's really been a cool part of my story is God's 
given me the opportunity to sit with some amazing leaders. Um, even in seminary, I sat, I got discipled by a guy named Robert Coleman, who was the, I wrote the book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, which for years was kind of a centerpiece book on evangelism. And he was 75 at the time and just discipled young students. And it was just a gift. He called Billy Graham, Billy, right? He's one of the only few that could do that. So um, (laughs) just, you know, I'm just grateful for the opportunities and, and what it's, constantly done for me is remind me of how important leadership is. And so, well, and to, to have that um, privilege of um, being with Andy Stanley and just, right. not only is he such a great pastor, but he's such a great leader, a man of such wisdom and character, yeah. and he's just so normal and approachable. And yeah. um, his, I mean, you know, in, in our world, I can't tell you how many times people will just say, well, Andy said, right. you know, it's just not, right. you know, he's just, well, Andy said, he's just like that, you know, that, that common sense thing, that <laughs> of course, always just kind of on your shoulder. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yep. that's I so love true. that approach. It's so effective because people, people get it. They don't want to be talked to from up here and yep. he doesn't. He's, he's just, very relatable um, for sure. For sure. Okay, so you wrapped up there, and then you had this opportunity at Catalyst. So yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I had um, one of the skill sets I'd learned while I was at, at North Point in Brownsbridge was how to produce big events, the program around it, and um, so even the first four or five drive conferences that North Point held, I was the producer for, and, and uh, Julie Arnold and I would work together on that, and. Um, really cut my teeth on that. And so then Catalyst came around and asked if I'd be willing to do that for their three big events. Um, and so for a couple of years, they would contract me to come while I was still working at Brownsbridge, but they would contract me to come and produce the three big events that we had. And then after about two and a half years, Brad Lominick, who was the, uh, the director at the time said, hey, would you be willing to come and be our creative director, but also develop our staff? Because he knew that I loved leadership component, leadership coaching. And, uh, and I, truthfully, we were a leadership company, so we should be really good at that. So it was kind of a yeah. cool opportunity. And one of those where I just kind of felt like I didn't have a choice. Like I kind of, it was like, yeah, I got to do this. Like this is right up my alley. And it had an opportunity for just uh, unique influence in the kingdom and, and with church world. So um, jumped at that and about a year into it, uh, Brad rolled out and I stepped into the leadership role and um, served for about five years, and it was really hard and really amazing at the same time, but leading a national movement um, that was started by John Maxwell and Andy Stanley, you kind of feel like you got to yeah. <laughs> try to steward that really well, and, or tried really hard to do that, and I think I um, did some things really well, and I made some mistakes in some areas, and that's, that's kind of part of the leadership journey, right? Absolutely. Okay. Well, we'll pick that up a little bit later because I want to talk about your new book. And I know you start off the book talking about being handed the keys to Catalyst. So I'd love to to learn um, more about some of your learnings from that. But before, let's talk a little bit about just leadership in general. And um, with your company, you talk about leading well. Yeah. If you could share more about exactly what you mean what does it mean to lead well? Sure. I, I think there's a lot of people that um, would not consider themselves leaders. And I think for years, there's been teaching that says, you know, uh, yeah, leaders are leaders go first and leaders have to be up front and this kind of thing. And uh, but John Maxwell said it best and he simplified it, just said leadership is influence. And so a lot of times when I speak, I'll have everybody in the audience kind of 
think about one person that they have influence with. And if you have influence with at least one person, which all of us do, then how you steward that influence is really your leadership journey. So, you know, if I've got three people and or three kids in a Bible study, well, how I steward those three kids is my leadership journey. If I'm a, a mom and I've got four kids in my house, like there's a leadership component to that. If you uh, lead a team at, you know, the local Publix and you're in charge of the, you know, grocery bagging group, how you lead them is your leadership journey. So it's not just the upfront person. It's not just the leader that everybody sees. It's every opportunity you have with influence. And so um, to me, that's, that's the simplest way to put it so that people understand this isn't, this isn't content for just somebody else. This is all for us. Like each of us have a responsibility and a stewardship of our influence. And so that's the, that, that's the way I've always tried to look at leadership is, and again, you're right. It's a buzzword. A lot of people use it. There's a bunch of books on it, but a lot of times people walk right past it. Cause they're like, well, what, but I'm a stay at home mom or, well, I'm a, you know, I all I ever, I guess the only leader I am is when I'm coaching my eighth grade son's basketball team or whatever the thing is. And they'll walk by it. Cause they're like, well, I'm not leading this, but I would really challenge that with people and say, it's really important for you to understand that how you steward your influence is your leadership journey. And so these things should all matter to you. Right. Um, they should be a big part of your story. Yeah. And hello, being a parent, leading well in your home, is yep. that not your most it's important really job important. in life? Yeah. I just heard a friend the other day I was with, um, made this comment, a couple of the guys, other pastors around the table started tearing up like myself, but he said his kids are 20 and 24. And the comment he made was, you know, I realized that I was really good at raising my kids, but not great at enjoying my kids. And I, I think we've all felt that in different ways, but that's a leadership thing, right? It's me choosing how to steward my influence with my children. Um, and so many of us spend time trying to make sure they do the right things that we forget to just enjoy them. And I don't know, it's a good, it was a good reminder. He's a little further down the journey and he's kind of looking back going, gosh, I wish I'd done more of that. Well, I'm, I'm right in the middle of the journey and I want to do that now. So, you know, yes. taking those things to heart. I want to ask you a question about blind spots in okay. leaders. Um, how do you, being a leadership coach, how do yeah. you, how do you, how do you go about addressing those? Because I feel that, you know, the leader, especially if you're in traditional corporate, corporate right. structure, um, nobody wants to kind of be the one to say, eh, this is what you need to work right. on. What, how do you coach leaders through, through that? So trust has got to be a big part of this. Like um, you can't just, well, well, let me back up a little bit. I, I do a lot of consulting and, and coaching. And I remember um, at this one place, one of my clients, I, um, have a young leader that was walking with me through these meetings that I had the first time I met with everybody. And at the end of the day, and we had some hard conversations, you know, in some of those meetings. And I remember asking her, I said, what did you notice today? What did you learn today? And she said, well, I'm really tired. This is hard work. And I said, yeah, it is. And she said, but you, you had a way to say things to people, even if it wasn't the best news. And they still walked out feeling like you were for them or that, you know, that, that this was a good thing. And I said, well, here's what I've learned about consulting is my experience and my credibility is what gets me in the room, but it's my emotional intelligence that keeps me in the room. 
And so I tell you that because when you when it comes to blind spots and working with leaders who don't quite have the social awareness or the EQ to be able to recognize some of their own things, we all have them. It's not just an EQ oh, yeah. thing, but you can't just say it. So there's a lot of consultants that would be really good at seeing the problems, but don't know how to say it in a way that people can hear it. And one of the keys to great coaching and consulting is being able to communicate things in a way that people can hear it, not just be offended by what you're trying to say. You know, Andy, as we mentioned earlier, he's always got the statement, is it better to make a point or make a difference? And so if you're working on blind spots and you're just trying to make a point, you're not going to get anywhere. You're just not going to. Yeah. But if you can figure out how to make a difference, so therefore you spend the hard work on the front end, thinking who you're talking to, understanding their wiring, being able to communicate what's being said about them or, you know, the things that you're recognizing through assessments need to be changed. You've got to do it in a way that honors them, that honors their wiring and that communicates so that they actually make a difference in their life, not just trying to make a point in their life. So I, I think there's multiple ways to have to do it, but trust has got to, you got to build that trust by being able to show them you can have some hard conversations and communicate it in a way where, um, they don't turn you off from the beginning. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's hard to, to be vulnerable and right. look at those weak spots. But whenever I've done that, you know, there's, there's healing that, you know, when you kind of, sure. you know, exposure, you know, those dark places to the light, it's sure. healing and growth. And that's, that's when it gets really good. And I yeah. think, if a leader is not willing to really address that, then, you know, you're just going to kind of stay in the same spot. Yeah, absolutely. You got to grow. That's part of the journey, right? We can't yeah. stay where we are. Yeah. And that's when it gets fun. Yeah. Oh, sometimes, right? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable. Right. Right. You know, it's a little love, painful sometimes, but it's a yeah. good thing. Well, and I, uh, Brene Brown has just been so fantastic at getting us all more comfortable with being vulnerable. Right. Right. You for know, sure. Before, before she really kind of made it such a thing. And if you've yep. never seen her TED talk, go look up Brene Brown. Exactly. Power, art, power of vulnerability That's or whatever. To be vulnerable is to be fully human. And yep. I think leaders so many times they feel they need to have all the, all the answers and nobody ever has all the answers. Yeah. So. And don't you want to work for somebody who's willing to be like, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. Um, Versus trying to make up answers that you know they don't know the answer to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, um, I love the fact that you know Christian leadership is yeah. definitely a different model than just plain leadership. Uh, talk us through that a little bit, Tyler, and why is that different, and why do you think it's important to have that aspect in there? Well, uh, you know that's the only space I've ever led in is in the faith-based Christian-based space. And so for me, it's, it's like a second home, you know, it's um, what's interesting is all the, even as I was writing this new book, I kept thinking about business leaders and diff different folks. And um, I don't, I know that these principles apply. That's the thing, whether you put the faith-based element in it or not, but being kind to somebody applies to every human, not just people of faith. And so, um, but what people have to recognize that are Christian or that are following Jesus is we represent something bigger than ourselves. And so um, if you say, this is what I believe on Sunday, but then your Monday through Friday doesn't match that, that's problematic. And 
um, it's got to be integrated. You know, one of, um, I had somebody ask me recently about like, how do I integrate faith in my kids? Like, what does that look like? And um, I think it's the same way when it comes to leadership. Faith isn't just a Sunday thing for me. Like, I try to process, even with my kids, and I would do this with my team, I want to process what I think I hear God saying or what I think I got, what, like, what's, how am I processing decisions through the faith that we all agree upon? And so um, when it comes to leadership, the biggest part for me is I don't know too many people that have walked away from Jesus because of Jesus. But I know a lot that have walked away because of those of us that represent Jesus, those of us that, you know, have a vocational call or that work at us like and I try to when I speak to church staffs, I try to make sure I don't care which position you are at the church. Mm-hmm. There's a group of people that see you as a representative of God because you're stepping into a space of church. And so how you lead affects their faith. It matters. And so for me, what I push Christians to understand is. This isn't just a, a right or wrong. This isn't just a move the ball down the field. This has eternal consequence. This has a lot of weight to it in a good way. And it could be in a bad way if you don't manage it well. So for me, Christian leadership is, um, it's not just principles to make sure we live a good, you know, have a good career and this and that and the other. There's a lot on the line. And I think that's why it matters so much to me that we lead well. Right. And I love the servant leadership model that Jesus embodied when he was here on earth. You know, it was really, it still is so upside down. Sure. And um, people that are outside the faith or or, are questioning or skeptical, um, it really, for me, it really goes back to that. And, um, you know, him washing his disciples' feet instead of the other way around. So how the world you know, would be such a better place if we all just kind of followed his servant leader model. Right. I think yeah. at, at what you're doing, it's all, it's all in that spirit. It definitely is. Clay, Clay Scroggins, who's a part, you know, he's down at Buckhead Church. Oh, yeah. His book, um, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, one of the questions he asks is, what if we brought a, a towel in our leadership versus a clipboard? Because so often when you carry a clipboard, you're just evaluating. There's no real connection. There's no emotion to it. There's no service in that. But if you bring a towel like Jesus did and wash the feet uh, versus just standing over somebody with a clipboard, it just makes a difference in their lives. It's, uh, um, it's like, wow, okay, this person's for me, not just for what I do for them. And um, I think that's a, a key part of being a great leader. Yes. Most definitely. Okay, so you've got a lot going on <laughs> since leaving Catalyst. Yeah. So it started with the Life Giving Company. Yeah. Tell us more about what that's all about. Well, as I mentioned earlier, Fran Lamatina um, was an executive coach that really encouraged me in my walk and, and my, my leadership journey. And so I remember sitting in a meeting one day where she was teaching my team, or coaching our team. And I remember thinking, I really wish I could do that. Like, I like I think I could do that. I love it. And so I just kind of started from there. I started my own little side leadership coaching business. Never knew, like, wasn't trying to do it full time, just thought I would do it. And when the opportunity arose, you know, I would do that. And so um, fast forward after my years of leading at Catalyst, and I always still did a little bit on the side, like my first book was through the company and some other stuff like that. And I would have some clients here and there when I would go speak. It was it was kind of all through that same life-giving company. Well, it was originally called Excolo Coaching and Consulting, but the life-giving company came after the, sec- the first book I wrote. 
And so um, about two years ago, I stepped out on my own full time. And basically, I've got, uh, I have a bunch of clients, but four or five major clients and mostly churches and ministries that I'm serving alongside of um, and helping them with their executive teams and working with organizational leadership of that church or that organization. I'm one of those guys, I'm pretty unstructured naturally. And by unstructured, it doesn't mean that I can't get things done. It means that I like difference. I like every week to feel a little different. Yeah, if I have the same too. routine day in and day out, I would probably lose my mind. Um, I don't miss going to an office every day and working from a certain hour to a certain hour. Like I love the flexibility that comes. I just got back from eight days in Wyoming with this, you know, oh. thing that we started and we were snowmobiling. Where, where in Wyoming were you? We flew to Jackson Hole and then it was about an hour and a half from there. It's not not far from Du Bois. Du Bois, I think they look at Du Bois. Du Bois. There you go. And so I school at the University of Wyoming. So did you in Laramie? Yeah. I lived, there you go. I lived in Wyoming for 11 years. So, okay. Yeah. What a pretty state. Um, yeah. Oh, well, especially Jackson Hole. It's just yeah, it's not terrible. Not terrible. Odds country for, <laughs> for sure. But for me, I love that I can do that. And nobody's calling, go, where are you? Why aren't you at the office? Like, I don't have to ask for that because I've got the freedom to do that. And, um, and it was serving leaders. So it was, it's just, I love that flexibility and I love working with multiple organizations to try to make them better. And so, yeah, so that's what the life-giving company does. And, and you have a podcast as well. I do. I would say it is, uh, it's not a hibernation season two is being worked on right now, but I, uh, it'll all be around the new, the new content of it's all interviews with people who have stepped into a place they didn't start. And so, um, we're actually doing interviews all, all, the next few weeks for that. And we should be releasing season two, probably in the next two to three weeks. Excellent. Actually, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I saw that, um, Cheryl Bodchelder was yep. one of, one of your people who contributed. Some, yeah. At the end of the book, amazing I have insight to the book. She's, she's amazing. I have four case studies in the back chapters of different leaders who have stepped into things they didn't start and just what they learned while they did it. Well, and it's interesting that you've written this book about, you know, inter inheriting something you didn't start, but at the same time, you're starting all this stuff. I know, so. <laughs> but my whole career prior to this was leading things I didn't start. So, you know, it's, um, it's really an interesting world because, um, that's just a different, and it, and it proves my point even more. Like, um, I remember sitting and thinking when I was stepping into this catalyst role, like, where am I, who's going to help me with this? Like, I don't know, I knew there was a million resources on startup and entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. but I've made this number up a little bit, but I think 90% of us don't do that. Like maybe more, very yeah. few of us actually start something from scratch, right? Mm -hmm. um, most of us step into an, a team that exists, or we step into a, a platform that's already there. Or we step into, you know, we, we follow a leader that was either loved or hated. And how do we do that? Well, so I just remember thinking, I don't know of any real resources on this and but it's the majority of leadership right um so anyway that's it's that's kind of where it came from you know cool and the full name of the book is leading things you didn't start uh the subtitle is winning big when you inherit people places and possibilities and it's it's out in yeah yeah march 2nd 2021 who would have thunk it who would have thunk it i don't even know what i'm trying to say there <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? So um, who do you hope reads this book? Yeah, I've kind of had three groups of people in mind as I was writing. One is pretty straightforward. It's the person that's stepping in right now into something that 
you know, and, and one of the things in the, in the church world, there's a ton of great churches that are about to, in the next five to 10 years, have to transition the leadership. Oh yeah. And so that was a big part of the audience. And, and even that, if you're a Christian stepping into um, a new management role at the bank, like it doesn't matter. It's just, how do we go about doing this well so that we gain influence as we step in versus losing it because we didn't handle it um, correctly. The second group that comes to mind would be churches or Christian ministries or Christian businesses as an onboarding tool. So like imagine, you know, in a month you're starting this new job at a church or in an organization and they send you a little care package ahead of time. And in that care package is a hat that matches the logo and, you know, you get your pins and all this, but there's a book that's literally saying, Hey, we want you to read this before you show up, because we believe if you apply some of these principles, you'll be successful as you step into this space. And so I'd love for churches and organizations just to have a box on hand so that when they have new staff coming on, they're able to just send them off or even volunteers. I mean, Hey, you're, you're managing something we've worked really hard on. So we want you to do this well. Uh, and then the last group that's just come to mind as I've been down at Southeastern is college graduates. As they're leaving to step into jobs that they didn't start, um, I think it's a great resource for them. Something that they could give them some meat, you know, something to hold on to as they step into places that they didn't start because very, very few of those would be starting something from scratch. And so um, that's kind of who I think of when I think of this would be a really helpful resource. When you were doing the research for this book, any surprising findings that you discovered along the way? You know, I, I'm such a, I'm such a conversational writer. And so, you know, one of my goals is that you read it and it feels like you're sitting with me right now and we're talking about leadership. Um, As I, as I started kind of just digging into each of these topics. Um, I really started noticing that it's not like there's all this great new content. It's more of just trying to put it all and curate it in one space where now you see how this applies specifically to this subject. So for instance, my first book, um, it was probably more of a generic leadership thing. And so if you're walking by uh, now, unfortunately, for some reason, Barnes and Noble kept putting it in Eastern philosophy because that's totally what that book's about. <laughs> which I'm like, <laughs> it's not really. Nobody's looking for that over there. Um, but you know, if you're not looking specifically for a Christian leadership book, you probably wouldn't have picked that book up. This one is hard for me to believe that you walk by it and not go, "Huh, I actually need that" because I just did that, or I know somebody that need, like it. Seems like it has a little bit more traction from a specific. But the reason I say that is it really helped me where when I would think through or, or create a principle, I, I had very specific ways to apply that principle because I knew it was all about this specific situation of stepping into something. So it really helped me as I researched and as I continued to just kind of grow up my own principles or thoughts from my experience um, of how do you do this well? And what does that look like? Well, I was able to take those principles and not just kind of throw out hypotheticals, I was able to put them very clearly into my own stories, into my own life. Um, and so I wouldn't say there was a ton of surprising content or surprising research. It was really fun to do those case studies and hear, you know, how these different leaders, like one of them is Buzz Williams, who's the men's basketball coach at Texas A&M. He's a good friend of mine. Well, he was only 100 days into taking over his fourth major Division I basketball program. And so he was super surprised about some things he didn't know ahead of time which is not uncommon in these situations. He was, um, you know, he was dealing with the fact that he had players that didn't sign up for him. But that's part of this thing is how do I take somebody who I didn't recruit and get them on my team? 
And what does that look like? So that's, that's a big part of, and I think that's where some of the best content came from. Huh, super cool. So what words of advice do you have for people who are not in the leadership role, who are assuming a new leader? Yeah. Any insight you, you can share with people on how to, how to, because if you, if you help make that transition um, well for yeah. your leader, it only, it only works for everyone involved. Sure. So in other Let's words, when, a little bit. yeah, when somebody joins your team, like they're coming over to your place or the new leader is coming in, what, what would you do as an employee? Is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah. Or if I, yeah. if I've been someplace, you know, for four years, I'm, right. I was loyal to the leader Yeah. and then, you know, the new leader is coming in. What advice yep. would you give to me? That's great. It's a really good question. Um, what I actually spent three chapters on the book on patience because it's a fruit of the spirit, but it's, it's a reason it's a fruit of the spirit. That's not a natural thing. Right. Um, what, what I love. And even as I stepped in is I want to know that the leaders that I'm stepping in to lead are coachable. And so just, just having a coachable spirit, even like, um, and, and I, the reason I brought up the patience thing is because usually people that are um, praying and working towards patience are also very coachable they're willing to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take a second. I know you're new. Like, cause a lot of times, right. When somebody comes in new, there's so many things you're hoping they grab a hold of. You're hoping they make the change to you're hoping, but imagine following somebody who is beloved. Imagine following a leader that the team just adored and felt like they made the best decisions ever. So it wasn't a situation where they're coming in going, Oh my gosh, I hope they change this, that, and the other they're going, oh, I hope they just do more of the same. But one of the reasons I talk about and how these two books connect uh, from my first book to this one is when you're called into a new role, your job is not to be the person that was there before. Your job is to learn what's best. What were the best practices? What were the things they did best? But don't be them. That's not, the, that's not your job. And you're not going to be the best leader for your people if you're trying to be somebody you're not. And so I think, you know, when you're accepting or you're serving on a team with a new leader, a big part of that is just showing them, hey, I'm, I'm in this with you and I'm in it for the person that you are. I'm not, I don't want you to be the guy or the girl that was here before. Like, so how do you support that? How do you say those things in a way that makes them know that, you know, uh, you're for them, you're for them as them being them for <laughs> trying to get three, three thems in one sentence. That was special, but you know what I'm saying? It's just, <laughs> it's, it's really important that we create a culture and a space where it's like, hey, we want you to succeed. And we believe in you, not just because we love the person before, but because we're, we're trusting that you're the right person uh, to lead us in the future. So well, what does it look like to just show from the beginning, hey, my hands are open. I'm, I'm in this. I'm not holding this history tight. I'm not holding this past like this is the best way to do it ever. I'm, I'm holding it with very much open hands. It's, a, it's in everybody's best interest. Absolutely. When you, when you are for that person. And, you know, I'm sure that when there's like, you know, uh, some type of dramatic turnover, then it, then it's a whole, a whole different for sure. level. Um, of and, and that kind of thing either expedites some of the process or slows down some of the process. Like, you know, I, I don't believe that it should be a new sheriff in town. Every time you come in, you've got to take time on these things, but there are a few times that leaders will inherit something that's, that's sinking. Yes. And so there is a requirement to expedite some of the process a little bit. Okay, Tyler, tell us about the, the latest venture with the pastors. 1010 Project. 1010 Project. Uh, so last, last year, um, 
within 12 months, I lost three pastor friends to suicide. And, um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, why would, you know, and, and there is a lot of anger with that because it just feels, uh, it's very frustrating and yet sad at the same time. Um, but the third one was a close friend who um, had just been with us a few weeks before serving pastors and trying to help from his story, encourage them to stay in the game. And um, when he took his life, I just didn't have, I, I knew my spirit was very unsettled. And I needed, I knew I needed to do something about it. And taking my years of network with Catalyst, taking my understanding of coaching and my relationship with um, Miles Adcox, who runs on-site ministries or on-site uh, workshops in Nashville, which is a therapeutic retreat center. I just, me and a buddy who was a, a pastor as well, just felt like we had to do something about this because we were tired of losing our friends, not just to that ultimate decision, of suicide, but also to addiction and to um, moral failures and, and those sorts of things. And what we knew is there's, we can take retreats and we can put people on uh, really cool trips, but that's, what do you do after that? Most pastors don't have a place to, to talk. Yeah. If they have um, some sort of inappropriate feelings or they're struggling with this, that, and the other, talking to the elders isn't usually a safe place to do that because they don't know what to do with that. And it's like, what, you need money for counseling? What's going on? Like, you're never going to like, what? Because there is an expectation and rightfully so that your character and integrity and your morality are all really high. And they're, you know, but then when you're saying I'm struggling with this part of my character or this thing, there's a fear that you're going to go off the rails. And, um, and so you're scared for your job. So, so then you don't say anything. Well, that doesn't seem like to be a safe option. And our, the, the last guy, Darren, who took his life, this guy was in the healing ministry part of it. Like he was doing his work and his ministry from that place of pain he had been through, from those places of um, seeing the damage from a failure. And yet he still had a secret that he felt like he couldn't tell anybody. And so he took it to the ultimate decision to, to take his life. And so we started 1010 Project. It's based on Ecclesiastes 1010 that says, when the ax grows dull, it's harder to swing, but with skill comes success. And so we have this cool little logo that's the ax, but with a shepherd's hook. And so our heartbeat is to sharpen pastors, but also to shepherd pastors. And um, so we, we've created a 12-month process. The guys, we I literally just got back yesterday from our first group, our first project. It's 15 pastors. We took them snowmobiling up in Jackson, uh, you know, north of Jackson Hole. And that excursion is just to get them out. We got to get away. We got to unplug. We got to have some fun. But where the power happened was sitting around the dinner table at night. The power happened is they're broken up into small groups. And so what's beautiful is after four days, they've all gotten to know each other. They all had a great time, but it's not done. They all know for the next 12 months, they're going to be in relationship with this group. And so hopefully we're creating a space where they can say what they need to say and yeah. be honest about what's going on. And it's with guys right now who are other pastors who understand, but don't need anything from them. And so, you know, the chance of losing their job, that's not the question. It's a safe place. And we're a nonprofit because we wanted to be able to raise capital so that guys uh, or leaders who can't afford the, you know, the expense of it, um, we can help scholarship some of it. Everybody's got to pay something because um, there's a big investment on our end. So we want to make sure they're equally invested. But also, we, we know there's going to be some leaders who need marriage counseling and who need addiction therapy or whatever the thing may be. And so 
we want to have capital to be able to just go, Hey, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay for you to go to this, this marriage retreat. And um, so, yeah, we're just kind of fresh into it, but what was beautiful is, you know, we had 15 guys in this first group. We've probably got 30 people that have already wanted to be in our second group that starts in June. So we're just kind of, the train has left the station to say the least. Well, and I saw a picture on social media and so many of the guys were all just tatted <laughs> up and <laughs> yeah, that's some cool dudes out there, you know, never would have thought that was a pastor's <laughs> gathering. <for sure. laughs> it's a new day and age for pastors to say the least. <laughs> well, I love it. So tell us how people can connect with you, Tyler Reagan. Yeah, you know, um, social media is probably the easiest uh, at Tyler Reagan, R-E-A-G-I-N. Um, if you want to know more about, well, you can go to TylerReagan.com. It's got connections to the books, but also uh, life-giving company, you know, other things like that, and would allow you to kind of connect me and see what else is going on. Cool. So the word relevate yeah. is a real word. It means to uplift or restore to good spirits. It's great. Close us out with a word of inspiration, if you will, please. Yeah. You know, I, um, I just can't shake this idea for those of us as parents um, that we are, we're called to bring life to our kids, not just discipline them and, and raise them, quote unquote. And I, I do that with, I try to do that with every leader that I serve. And the whole first book, Life-Giving Leader, I just had a simple phrase that when life flows, influence grows. And so for those leaders who want to know more about how to gain influence, I would tell you day in and day out, you just pour life into the people around you. And you'll be shocked when it goes from two to 20 and then it goes to 20 to 400 or whatever the, you know, the, yeah. the numbers may be. But if you just choose to pour life into people around you, don't be shocked to see your influence grow. That is a word, my friend. Keep up the amazing work you're doing. Good luck with the book launch and um, just stay in touch, Tyler. Thank you so much for this time. Sure. Thanks for having me. So now you know why Tyler is a leadership expert. He is so full of wisdom and great advice for us about leadership. I love what Tyler said. When you're called into a new role, your job is not to be the person that was there before. Don't be them. That's not your job. So let's take that one to heart, okay? And really apply it broadly through our lives. Be you. He's made you a unique creation you were made for more and you are just destined for more so quit comparing yourself to others and just be you and let us all be a work in progress and let's be working on our leadership muscle that's something we can be developing our entire life if you've never considered yourself to be a leader you maybe kind of have that mindset oh, I'm not meant to lead I'm a follower I would challenge that up one side and down the other, okay? Christian leadership, the role of Jesus as a servant leader, he turned that model upside down, and he served with love in his heart. We are all capable of doing that. I'm Rena Olson, and this is Relevate.